Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Sophia Osborne. And I'm Olivia DeBercier. And this is our 100th episode. Woo! Woo! <laughs> I can honestly not believe it. Like, it feels like we started it a second ago, but it's been two years. I know. That's... It's weird to think where we were when we started this show. Yeah. Like, like right sort of like in the middle of the start of the pandemic and like, I don't know, it was like a weird time. Yeah, just totally isolated and playing Animal Crossing 24-7. <laughs> yeah. And just like, yeah, it's kind of crazy how much has happened since then. But also, yeah, it does really feel like we just started this. Totally. I don't know. I guess I wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's been there since the beginning and since the last episode. Like, we just appreciate you all so much. Exactly. And like, big thank you to all the guests we've had on, everyone we've had the opportunity to meet and connect with, listeners and all of our friends and family who've supported us on this really fun journey and... Yeah, we just are feeling very grateful for everyone right now. And thank you, Sophia, for, you know, keeping me on track, (laughs) you know, doing all the editing. Like, I have to say, I don't know how if our listeners know this, but Sophia does all the editing for the show. I've never touched the editing software (laughs) for our show. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, big shout out to Sophia for doing that and managing the social media, like, and everything. Oh, my gosh. Well, Thank you for all the research that you do and doing a beautiful illustration every single week. Yeah. It's been very good practice. I'm (laughs) very happy we did this. Yeah, you've done 100 illustrations. I know, crazy, right? I guess it occurs to me that we've also done some (laughs) re-releases. So I guess that that includes the re-releases. Yeah. I feel like that's fair. You've probably done like 95 or something like that, but it's still a lot. (laughs) Still a lot. Well, in case you haven't heard, we are doing something special for our next episode, our 101st episode, which is kind of our way of celebrating this big milestone with you all and kind of connecting with you more. So until July 6th, we're asking you to send us a DM on Instagram or Twitter at Beyond Blathers, or you can send us an email to beyondblathers at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear some of your critter stories. So we have a few prompt questions for you. So you can answer one of these three questions. One, if you work with animals, can you share with us one of your coolest or weirdest stories from working with wildlife or specimens? And two, what was a time you were totally in awe of bugs, sea creatures, or fossils? And three, You could tell us about an animal encounter you had that you will never forget. 
So we've already had some amazing DMs. I'm so excited to share them with you. And it's really wonderful to get to hear from everyone and hear your stories. So thank you for everyone who's already submitted. And please don't hesitate, even if it's a short little story. We really love to hear it. If you have pictures, feel free to send us pictures of the animals or uh, whatever the story is. So yeah. Yeah, I've been having so much fun reading them. And then we're going to pick some to share and react to in our episode next week so yeah please please send in your stories if you haven't yet so for this week's episode we wanted to talk about blathers himself or rather owls so at first we were planning on making this a great horned owl episode because that's sort of what we assumed blathers is our logo is a great horned owl (laughs) It's very North American centric of us. I realized that because suddenly I was like, wait, this game is made in Japan. That doesn't really make sense because great horned owls are endemic to like North and I believe South America, maybe. So that doesn't really, that doesn't ecologically check out. (laughs) Uh, So I I can't believe we made 100 episodes. And only now am I like, hmm. Maybe I made a mistake in our logo, but I suppose it could be like, we're from Canada, so we're taking our interpretation of the game. So I mean, really looking at Blathers, he is such an ambiguous owl. Like, I don't know where I got it in my head that I was like, Blathers is obviously a great horned owl because like my man is just a a sort of generic (laughs) brown (laughs) guy with some tufts like and a checkerboard pattern stomach. Yeah, I was like, okay, he's got like speckling, like beige speckling on his belly. And so I looked at all these like horned owls and I was trying to like match the the feather pattern and I was like, they literally all have <laughs> speckling <laughs> on their front. Like it doesn't it doesn't narrow it down by any yeah. means. So it's similar to when we had Susie on to talk about Gulliver because I was like oh he's a seagull but then you realize like oh there's a lot of different gulls and not all of them are seagulls and he kind of has a few traits from a few different gulls so yeah yeah so basically I looked at I googled owls of Japan it's very scientific and I looked at some of the horned owls that live there we have long-eared owls that was an option there were also an assortment of scops owls which I didn't know what a scops owl was until I looked at that and then I found the Eurasian eagle owl which is actually a species I worked with at the Edmonton Valley Zoo so I figured Let's go with the Eurasian eagle owl. They're really gorgeous and I think quite interesting. And also their Latin name is Bubo Bubo, which just means owl owl. (laughs) So I thought that's adorable. Let's just call this the OG owl. (laughs) Bubo Bubo. I feel like I'm going to have to make that my like password for everything now because it's it just makes me happy. I think it sounds a little like Boba Boba and I'm obsessed (laughs) with Boba Tea. Yes, I I do think that they look quite a bit like Blathers when I looked it up and I'm kind of glad we're not going with the long-eared owl because it's just, it's just creepy looking. I don't know. Okay, sorry, this is, we're going to talk about this later in the episode, but I was looking at pictures of owl ears. We'll get into it. The long-eared owl, I found a picture of their ear and it's literally like, it looks like the entire side of their head is missing. 
Like there's just a gaping hole in the sides of their oh heads when you lift up their feathers. Apparently they have like um like a piece of like a skin flap basically that covers it, but it was alarming to see. <laughs> uh I'll probably talk more about it when we talk about ears, but I just needed to say that. I was like, what is happening? This owl, how how does nothing get stuck in there? Oh, okay, oh. sorry. Getting I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm interested to hear more about that. But yeah, I guess for the Eurasian eagle owl, for anyone who isn't looking up a photo of them, they definitely have that brown speckled pattern and then they have quite large tufts on their head. Although not as large as the long-eared owl. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Kind of a more reasonable large tuft and very bright orange eyes. Which yeah, What color very... eyes does blathers have? Just black, I guess. Just like, white. They're kind of black, wait. Yeah. yeah, and I couldn't find anything like that. So not not super perfect of a match, but oh well. But their eyes are really beautiful. And like, they're one of the biggest owls in the world. The females can get up to two and a half feet long, like tall, I guess. Long because we're including the tail. But that's, that's really quite tall when you think about it. And their typical wingspan is just over six feet Wow. Pretty big. But when we're talking about the largest owls in the world, usually three species come up. The first one is the great gray owl, which is a species we have where I live. And it's usually considered the tallest or longest at an average of 2.7 feet. And then there's another owl that looks completely like freaky and weird. I'm sorry. Like it's called the black... (laughs) Blackiston's fish owl. You need to Google it right now and like feel the alarm that I'm feeling. It is another owl whose range extends into Japan. And this creature definitely looks like the kind of haunting animal you'd seen in like a Studio Ghibli movie. It's got really large, fluffy, like a really large, fluffy brown body with kind of a small looking head relative to the rest of its body for an owl. So it looks less like a bird and more of this like cat-mammal-bird hybrid because it's sort of hunched in its posture. It hangs out on the ground, at least from the photos I can find of it. And it's just so fluffy. And it's usually considered to be the largest owl because it tends to be the heaviest at 10 pounds. And it also has the largest wing size on average. But like for weight reference, if anyone's ever seen a great horned owl, those are three pounds. Wow. This is a very heavy bird. Anyway, I hope you've all like searched it up by now and you're just like, wow, can't believe that exists. It does look really fluffy. Yeah. And then, of course, we have this Eurasian eagle owl and it has close weights and lengths to the other species I just mentioned. And overall, there's a lot of variation between individuals of these species. So if you searched up like largest owl, you're kind of going to get you're going to get a combination of all these three owls. But focusing back in on the Eurasian eagle owl, they are found, as their name suggests, across Eurasia. But they are sort of most common in Europe, Central Asia and Russia. But they have been known to go down to South Asia and China And the only population of Eurasian eagle owls in Japan appear to be the subspecies called the Usuri eagle owl, and they're present in northern Japan in the Kuril Islands to northern Hokkaido. 
As with many birds, their range can be variable, but that's just to give you kind of an idea of where these owls exist. And really, they that's a pretty big range. Yeah. And so are they related to the great horned owl? I, I do feel like they look pretty similar. Yeah, they're sort of like a like a jumbo great horned owl, like a Pokemon evolution up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they are in actually the same genus, Bubo. In fact, the great horned owl fits pretty similar niches in North America and South America as the eagle owl fits in Eurasia. And there's about 20 living species in the genus Bubo, which are colloquially called the horned owls, referring to those feathers that poke up above their eyes on the crown of their head. And of course, you probably guessed these aren't horns. They're also not ears. They're just special feathers called ear tufts that can raise and lower. It should be mentioned that not all owls in this genus have ear tufts, so that name isn't super accurate, uh, the horned owls. For example, snowy owls are in this genus, and they don't really have any noticeable tufts. Their head is quite smooth and round. So bubo means owl, but there are owls that aren't in the genus bubo? Yeah, so it's just a genus name. That happens to be named Owl, but yeah, there's a ton of other genuses, or genera, <laughs> genera is the plural, <laughs> that, that aren't in this group. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Eurasian eagle owls have a really large range, and therefore they have evolved into many subspecies, which can make things even more confusing because some of these subspecies are called things like the Iberian eagle owl or the Himalayan eagle owl. But then there's also whole separate species of eagle owl that are not the Eurasian eagle owl, and they're <laughs> called like the Indian eagle owl. So this is definitely a group of owls where the English name is kind of unhelpful <laughs> for determining if it's a species or a subspecies you're reading about. So you definitely have to take a look at the Latin name to understand that. But now you know the Latin name, it's going to be stuck in your head forever. Bubo Bubo. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I want to have like a cat named Bubo. That's so cute. Oh, that would be so cute. I love it. Yes. Well, it sounds like they live in so many different places. And I guess I'm kind of wondering, is there like a certain type of ecosystem that they live in in all the different places, if that makes sense? Yeah. Like where are they in this huge range? Well, it seems that they're not super picky when it comes to particular habitat types. So they can be found everywhere from boreal forests to deserts to grasslands. But what they do seem to like is places where there are steep cliffs or rocky, rocky outcroppings for them to nest or roost safely in. They, of course, also like places with trees to perch and preferably near wetlands because that's a great place to find rodent prakes. That's very easy soil for rodents to burrow into and live in. They love a good rocky nest spot where it's hard for predators to reach their young, and so they do really well in mountainous ranges like the Himalayas and the Alps. Like other large birds, they may not be as common in urban areas or even farmland, really, but that doesn't mean that they won't visit in the night to a farm if there's food available. And in Helsinki, Finland, they've had mating pairs nest within the city to eat all the feral rabbits that have overrun the town, which I think is kind of neat. In general, though, they're a relatively uncommon thing to see, kind of like, at least where I live, 
owls are like a special thing you get to see. They're not, they're definitely not like commonly observed. Yeah. I do feel like I hear them pretty often, I guess on Saturna, Mm -hmm. but I almost never see them. Yeah, they're definitely easier to hear. And they have kind of that classic like hoo-hoo sound, which is cute. I also found this really fun Wikipedia entry about this eagle owl nicknamed Booby, where in June 2007, it, this is like directly from the Wikipedia page for the record, but like it apparently landed in Helsinki's Olympic Stadium during the European Football Championship qualification match between Finland and Belgium. And they basically all had to stop for like six minutes and eventually the bird just left. But everyone was like just watching this <laughs> massive owl just like hang out there. One place I read, it was like sitting on the goalpost, which is amazing. So yeah, that owl was a little bit lost or maybe it really wanted to be there. I guess we can never really know. And a really happy end to this story, the owl was named Helsinki's Citizen of the Year in 2007. So good for Booby the Owl. I found another really cute story of this like man in Giel, Belgium, who had a pair of eagle owls nest on his windowsill and they had all these little babies. And he said that he like they would look into his living room window because that's where the nest was. And he would like sit there on his couch and he'd look at the little babies and they'd look at him and then they'd watch TV together and the babies would watch the TV, which is so cute. I want that to happen to me now. (laughs) Me too. Like, imagine how fun that would be. Like, you just look out your living room window and there's this lovely big nest of owls. Apparently, the mom was less friendly. And so do they tend to migrate at all? When we did the snowy owl episode, we talked a lot about the migration because they have quite a big migration. Yeah, and I expected them to migrate because of that crazy range that they have, but they really don't. And apparently... Most owls in the genus Bubo, apart from snowy owls, will actually move around very little. So for Eurasian eagle owls, they basically find a territory of about 15 to 80 kilometers, which is also 5.8 to 30.9 square miles. And they'll sort of just stay there and find a mate. And they also mate for life, which can be extremely long at about 20 years in the wild and much, much longer in captivity. Like I was seeing stats of like one owl that had allegedly lived for 60 years in captivity. So kind of crazy. When looking for a mate in January and February, the male eagle owl will hoot loudly to attract a mate so he can show off the nesting spot that he found. Now, bubo owls don't build their own nests. Usually they just find kind of a comfy crevice between rocks or they might find a cave. Some subspecies will even nest on the ground, which is a bold move. But I guess when you're big, you can get away with that sort of thing. Even though they may be with the same owl year after year, the same partner, they do like to keep the romance alive by performing a yearly mating ritual. And this mating ritual will involve calling to one another, bowing and billing each other. So just, you know, getting cozy, reaffirming their bond. That's like relationship goals. Yeah, like after 20 years, they're still at it. Yeah. Now, the female owl, she'll only lay about two to three eggs, sometimes more, but usually they won't all survive. The eggs are just a bit bigger than that of a chicken egg, if you can imagine that. 
They'll care for them at the nest after they've hatched for about four to five weeks. During this time, the male will go off hunting and he'll feed both the female and the little owlets. And then once the chicks have reached five weeks old, they can walk pretty well and they'll start to leave the nest. But they can't fly yet. That won't happen for another two weeks. It's a little bit unclear to me how they get out of the nest if they can't fly and they're on like a cliff or something. So I honestly just assume they jump. I've seen birds jump from ridiculous heights. I remember when I worked at the zoo, we had a lot of geese living and nesting on the roofs. And I remember one time I was like sitting at a touch table, like talking to some kids. And I look over and this there's this family of geese with these tiny little babies, like the tiniest little newly hatched things. And I watch as these like tiny little goslings just like launch themselves off the roof and then just <laughs> hit the ground and you could hear it. It was just like a and I felt so bad for them. But they just like get up and keep walking. And I I watched like 12 little chicks just like eat themselves off the roof. And I just felt so bad for them. So I don't know. I feel like that's pretty common with birds. They have no fear. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they, maybe they can kind of like use their wings a bit to fly down. I have no idea. I couldn't find that information. But uh, now I just want to know. How many Eurasian eagle owls did you have at the zoo? Two. Oh. Yeah. And I think they would, it was like a male and a female, I'm pretty sure. Interesting. That must have been cool. They're so big. Yeah, they they were pretty, I mean, they wouldn't be out that much. They, I mean, they're mostly nocturnal. So I just remember like having to change their perches and and I would have to like use a shovel to like cover the zookeeper's head while she went in to change their perches. Oh just my god! In case they like attacked. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, so yeah, that's what we had to do. <laughs> if anyone has like seen the staircase, did we talk about that in the snowy owl episode? I can't remember. It was a while ago now. It's like the staircase true crime case like one of the theories is that she was killed by an owl oh, yeah you totally did tell well yeah at least we talked about it i don't know if it was on the podcast or not yeah i don't know they're they have sharp talons oh yeah that's i wouldn't for sure. want those in my head a fun fact about the talons i mean this is probably another thing i shared on the snowy owl episode but the pigment melanin is very strong and sometimes Owls will have like pale or like kind of leucistic talons. And so they don't have that melanin pigment. And so it looks really pretty. But usually owls that have these pale talons, their talons will be super worn down because melanin actually strengthens those talons. And yeah, if if they don't have that, then it can actually be quite difficult to hunt, which I thought was quite interesting. Oh, so it makes their talons the talons are like yellow right usually they're like black oh oh yeah hmm. i i feel like it's often drawn as yellow i think their their toes like if i look at a great horned owl i feel i'm googling this now i think their toes are yellow oh yeah or maybe not a great horned owl i'm thinking of some bird of prey that has yellow toes but then the nails yeah 
I think Great Horned Owl has like very light colored toes, but their their talons themselves are like a dark gray brown color. Okay. And so also the the ear tufts, right? That's a big thing with Great Horned Owls, the Eagle Owl. What is their purpose? Are they actually connected to the ear? Like, do they have to do with hearing? Ear tufts are interesting because they aren't helpful in hearing, really. And it was once thought that maybe it's to make them look more like mammals to scare off potential predators. But it seems more likely that these ear tufts are used to communicate with other owls by making them look large. And if they're sort of nervous or alert to a potential predator, their ear tufts will go up and an owl that might be a little distance away will see that. And so it's sort of a form of communication and warning one another. The other thing they might be doing is if they're competing with another owl and they want to look more impressive, they can lift those up. But in general, probably the most common use is just for camouflage because when they raise their ear tufts, they look a lot more like a broken off branch in a forest. As someone with big eyebrows, and you have big eyebrows too. Yeah. I, I definitely relate. <laughs> I love to I love to have communicative eyebrows. Oh, totally. I wish I could raise my like single eyebrow though. My dad can do that and it really annoys me that I can't do that. Like very villainous eyebrow. <laughs> I can do the left side, but not the right side. <laughs> I guess I can do the right side more than the left side, but not as well as my dad. He can like mm. do this crazy, I don't know. so yeah it's like owl eyebrows yeah the other communication method that eurasian eagle owls will use is just their call so they'll call when defending its territory primarily in the cold months between october to november is when you'll hear these territory calls and for these owls calling to indicate its territory is a good way to defend its home without coming into dangerous fights with other owls these owls will also flare this white throat patch as a way of communicating to others that, you know, they shouldn't be messed with. So that's kind of neat, I thought, this like little white, it's like waving a white flag, but not as peacefully. (laughs) (laughs) Like waving a pirate flag. Yeah. I do want to take this chance, though, because we were talking about the ear tufts and how they're not ears. Let's talk about actual owl ears. I mentioned a little bit before Long-eared owls have crazy owl ears, but yeah, let's talk about them in Eurasian eagle owls. So owls have exceptional hearing. I'm sure many of our listeners know that. They fly around hunting in low light settings and therefore hearing is going to be really important in tracking their prey. More than just hearing approximately where their food is, they need to know exactly where they need to attack. If you looked straight at some owl skulls, you might see that they're not exactly symmetrical. And this is because owl ears are not actually in the same place on either side of their head. One is going to be a bit higher than the other. And this way, owls are able to triangulate the sound that they're hearing and figure out exactly where a sound is coming from. It's very, very strange. So, On some owls, this is going to be a lot more obvious than on others. I went to the Beaver Hill Bird Observatory in the fall, and they do owl banding over there, and they do this research, and so you can sort of buy a ticket, and you go, and they sort of explain what they're doing. They catch a bunch of owls, and then they bring them back to a tent to band them and to measure them, and part of what they do is they'll sort of show you 
the owl ears. And so all they have to do is lift up the feathers a little bit. And then you end up seeing this like crazy hole in their head. They're a lot bigger and deeper than you'd expect. And what's even more alarming is that you can see the backside of their eyeball when you look into the ear. Like, obviously, it's like covered by skin, but their eyes are so big. And so I'm not super sure if this is the same for Eurasian eagle owls, but it's definitely true for many owls, including the great horned owl. So I would imagine the eagle owl is not an exception to this, but it's really cool. If you have the chance to ever go owl banding in your town or to the local bird observatory, I highly recommend it. That's so interesting. I did not know that their ears were just holes. I guess I've never seen them before. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, wait, birds have ears? <laughs> like, but <laughs> yeah. it's because you, you would never see them. Uh, so it's kind of cool to have someone show you that because uh, it really is just like, I mean, I guess ours are also a gaping hole in the side of our heads, but they're definitely not that big. No, and the actual like ear part makes it look less alarming, I feel like. Yeah, like it's slightly covered. Like these are... I think what's weird about them is that they're just so deep into the skull. And also, owls are like mostly feather. So when you actually look at how big their skull is, it it really looks like a large part of their head is missing. Super weird. Yeah. You've probably also noticed that owls have quite flat faces. And this is called a facial disc. It helps direct sound towards their ears. And in the case of the eagle owl... They really tend to rely more on sight. They tend to be more crepuscular, meaning that they're active mostly when there's like a little bit of light still around, sort of few hours after sunset, few hours before sunrise. So they can rely on their sight a bit more. And their facial disc isn't as pronounced as in owls, which depend more on sound to hunt. Yeah, there are some owls... Like, what's that one owl that has, like, a white face? And it's such a... Like the barn owl? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one is, like, very clear. It looks like a moon face. So pretty. Or, like, the great gray owl has a crazy, like... Its head is just, like, a round... It's like the moon emoji. (laughs) Like, it just is flat. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The snowy owl doesn't really have a very flat face no it doesn't and that would make sense because they're they would be living in places that are gonna have like sunlight all day yeah I guess I also wanted to ask about owl intelligence since I do feel like Animal Crossing really leans into like owls being very (laughs) wise when they made blathers and you know he knows everything about all these different species and I guess does that does that track at all? Like, are owls very intelligent? I mean, I guess it, intelligence is always a hard thing to like quantify. But in my opinion, owls <laughs> aren't really that smart in general. Like, at least they definitely aren't anywhere near the level of intelligence of some of the smartest birds. Things like crows, ravens, corvids, parrots. But that's not really a slight towards them because problem solving and quote unquote intelligence, however that's defined, it's not important for owls because they're just so well adapted to their lifestyle. They have these spectacular senses. I mean, we just talked about their ability to hear, 
And I want to talk a bit more about some of the other hunting adaptations they possess that make them really successful, even if they're a bit bird-brained. So if we looked at their eyes, you'll notice that unlike a gull or a finch or most other birds, their eyes point directly forward. So owls have binocular vision like us, which means that they can see in 3D and are better able to judge distances. Their vision is slightly less binocular than ours, with 110 degrees of vision, with 70 degrees of that being binocular. For comparison, humans can see nearly 180 degrees around our heads with 140 degrees of binocular vision. Birds that are prey will often have eyes right on the sides of their head so that they can see everything going on around them all at once. That way, if there's a predator approaching, they don't really have to be constantly turning their heads to be aware of that. Which is why, like, if you were on a beach and you see a gull, like, look like it's looking straight at you, like its bill is pointed at you, it's not actually looking at you. Only when it turns its head and its eye is pointing at you, then it's looking at you. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Now, because owls are higher up on the food chain, they aren't as worried about things attacking them from behind. And having that advanced depth perception that binocular vision provides gives them the extra ability to pounce on prey with accuracy. Owl eyeballs are also shaped differently than ours. They're proportionally much larger compared to their heads. If our eyes were the same proportion as that, they would be the size of grapefruits. Which is, I hate that image (laughs) so much. Uh, It's a little scary. But basically, the bigger the eye, the more space there is for the pupil to expand and light to flood in. Which is why so many nocturnal animals have big eyes. It also means that there's a large distance between the lens at the front of the eye and the retina at the back which gives the owl the ability to focus on a larger and more defined image. Also, rather than having a round shape, these eyeballs are shaped a bit like a short mushroom. That's how I always imagine it. Basically, imagine the round part of the mushroom cap as the part of the eye that you can see that looks outwards. And then in their head, they have this ring that pinches the eyeball into a tube shape as it goes further back into the head. And this ring is called the sclerotic ring, and it's the same bone that we talked about in last week's ichthyosaur episode. So why the weird shape? Well, it's thought that as birds evolved, having lighter eyeballs became really important for flight. And for birds of prey, they need to be agile. So this shape allows owls to lose some of that heavy weight while retaining a large distance between the retina and the lens, which I mentioned before is important for good vision. But it also means that they can't rotate their eyes in their sockets. They can't roll their eyes. But this isn't a problem for owls because they can turn their head approximately 270 degrees around, which is three quarters of the way around their head. To explain this a bit better, like if they had their head turned, like turn your head towards your shoulder, And then imagine you could spin it three quarters of the way around. I don't know if you could tell. I literally did that with my head and I feel like my voice probably got quieter. (laughs) (laughs) So that's like the stereotype that owls can turn their head the entire way around. Yeah. If they did that, their head would pop off. So (laughs) it would not be good. Now, I do have to say that the distance that they can turn their head will also depend on the species, but that they can also turn their head upside down. 
And this is obviously impossible for us to do because we don't actually have enough neck vertebrae, but owls have 14 neck vertebrae, which is double what we have. The other cool adaptation they have is their eyes are extremely sensitive to movement. And the way it does this is they have a large number of rod cells in their retina. So the place at the back of their eyes where they process images. Rod cells detect light and movement and cone cells help detect color. We have both in our eye. In owls, they have lots of rod cells, but very few cone cells. At best, they're probably able to detect mainly blues and greens. So sadly, while Blathers may not be able to appreciate the beautiful paintings you bring him, he can definitely see the cockroach scurrying on the ground. (laughs) Now, having the vision to grab prey is important, but most prey are fast and eagle owls aren't really inconspicuous. So they definitely have to be quiet. Luckily, owls have specialized feathers that muffle their flight. So if you can, hold your hand to your ear like you're going to fan it, and then close your fingers and swish it by your ear. So do this a few times until you can hear the wind. And then next, do the same thing, but open your fingers, kind of like jazz hands. The sound (laughs) of the wind should be quieter. (laughs) But um, if you're ever at like a nature center, you should definitely ask to see an owl feather and then a goose feather, because you can do the same experiment with your feathers and it becomes really, really clear how much quieter an owl feather is. And the reason for that with the feather is they basically have fringed edges. They don't have this straight uniform edge like a goose feather would. They also have kind of a fluffy, like they're just very soft and fluffy on the top instead of sort of a smooth feel. And this allows the air to pass through the feather really quietly. Owls also have incredibly strong talons. So unlike occipiters, like hawks and falcons, who use their claws to stab their prey to kill, eagle owls will basically suffocate their prey with their strong grip, which is a little terrifying, but they, wow. they are incredibly strong. But they also have really cute feet. Eurasian eagle owls have like a lot of fluff, so they look like they have little fluffy booties on. And I thought that was adorable. I guess we don't want to get on Blather's bad side. No. He'll no, suffocate I, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> oh my god. That's how he kills bugs. But yeah, so you, you talked a bunch about their prey and you know having to be quiet and everything. What exactly are they hunting? So they can eat the small stuff like rodents and small birds, but they can also hunt much larger meals including small deer, foxes, small birds of prey, rabbits, herons, grouse, ducks, and even cats and dogs. They'll also eat reptiles and amphibians if given the chance. But because of their wide range across the globe, their diet will heavily depend on where they live and just how big the individual is. If they think they can eat it, they'll probably go for it. But whatever they eat, they'll also eat its fur, feathers, bones, and other hard bits like beaks. And it can't really digest that stuff. So instead, it'll compress it all into something called a pellet. And then it'll cough it up kind of like a cat's hairball. So all owls will do this as far as I'm aware. And these pellets are really interesting for us humans to find because they can be dissected and you can learn what an owl ate. So if you ever find an owl and it's sort of sitting there and it like eats a mouse or something and then coughs something up, you should like run over (laughs) and grab the owl pellet because you can like find all these weird bones and stuff in it if that's the kind of thing you're into. (laughs) Yeah, I think we talked about 
owl pellets quite a bit in the snowy owl episode mm-hmm. because I used to dissect them a lot in elementary school. That's so fun. Yeah, they they I remember them very distinctly. <laughs> so how are these Eurasian eagle owls doing conservation-wise? Well, I was a little surprised by this. They're actually least concerned, but that's mainly because they have a really large range. Part of that is in places that are relatively remote, places where large wildlife tends to do pretty well. So there's a fair number of individuals in existence, but parts of their range are in places where there's lots of people and a lot of habitat loss. So in a lot of places, their populations seem to be declining, and in some places they were extirpated. So yeah, they're not exactly out of the woods, but they're they're doing okay, I would say. One of their biggest threats is actually electrocution from uninsulated electrical towers near their nests. This was reportedly the cause of 38.2% of studied eagle owl deaths, which is a huge number. The next biggest threat is being hit by cars or trains. And this is a really big problem for a lot of birds, especially birds of prey, even here in Canada. And I actually have a very sort of good, like, here's something you can do to help owls kind of message. So definitely listen up and... I feel like this is going to be a really obvious, like, environmental message here, but, like, don't litter. It's it's something I tell people because I think the kind of litter people know not to do is, like, don't throw, like, a plastic bag out the window or something or, like, a pop bottle. And obviously don't do that, but also don't throw out, like, half a hamburger in a biodegradable package or, like, fruit cores or stuff out your window, especially when you're driving, because what happens is food or just smelly stuff piles up on the side of the road and it attracts rodents um, and all this, all these different like prey animals. And that in turn affects birds of prey, which are suddenly next to roads and it makes them much, much more likely to get hit by cars. And so, yeah, just don't litter. Don't ever throw apple cores out your window. And also try to keep food garbage or any kind of smelly garbage off the floors of your cars, Uh, not just because you should keep them clean, but also because those can fly out by accident when you open the door. I am definitely not great at this tip, so I will have to improve on just like keeping my own car floor clean. (laughs) But that's my tip. Yeah, that's really helpful. I definitely have thrown like fruit out the window while, you know, on road trips or something. So yeah, because it seems like this is biodegradable. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's better to throw it out the window than to put it in the garbage. But no. Yeah. But in this case, I wouldn't recommend it. If you like really have to like stop and really like chuck it as far into the woods as you can, (laughs) but just not to the side of the road. I mean, I probably wouldn't recommend that anyway, but whatever. I can't judge everything. (laughs) (laughs) Another big problem eagle owls face is also just persecution by humans. So some landowners see eagle owls as a threat to their game species, like gross and stuff, or they simply just don't want them around and they'll shoot them or they might poison them. So in places like France and Spain, where this is more prevalent, Education initiatives have been put together to try to prevent this sort of thing and get people to care a bit more about the owls and worry less about them affecting their game species. Another tip I have for owl conservation and just an animal welfare tip in general, 
is that really be aware of what you're watching on social media when it comes to animals. Lately, I've been seeing a lot more of that sort of cute exotic animals in people's homes. And I think this is a big problem for owls. A lot of people will buy pet owls or just like find little baby owls and they'll like adopt them and raise them. But like, they're not good pets. (laughs) They're (laughs) definitely very wild. So if you see videos of like owls or exotic animals that are clearly pets and not like from a rescue organization or like a certified zoo. I don't recommend sharing those or liking those or even avoid just watching them because you're kind of supporting probably owls that aren't being super well taken care of or may have come from sort of sketchy sources. So that's my recommendation for you today. It's very easy to do. Just avoid sharing those things. Yeah, I was going to say that when I was looking up the Eurasian eagle owl and the long-eared owl, it was like one of the first things that came up was like, you know, can you get them as pets and stuff like that? And I was like, what? why? (laughs) Like, get a cat. Yeah, and I feel like it's gotten really popular lately. Like, I feel like a couple years ago, it was really trendy to have an owl. Yeah, it's so strange to me. Mm -hmm. On a more positive social media note... This is not really relevant to the Eurasian eagle owl, but like every year on Twitter, I get really excited about the Super Bowl. And it's not because I like sports, because I really don't, but because Science Twitter does this superb owl day, which I think is so funny. And there's just like lots of pictures of owls. So it's so good. A tip for the next Super Bowl is keep your eye out for superb owl day. So that's the Eurasian eagle owl. It's big and beautiful and has managed to make a home in like a quarter of the planet. And I think that each one should be outfitted with its own bow tie. Yeah, and given its own museum. Absolutely. A museum at each location. It was like take up the entire territory of the owl. (laughs) Yes. I love that. I'm so glad that we did this for our 100th episode. I... I'm glad that we kind of celebrated blathers and I also wanted to say this is like totally not relevant to science but blathers birthday is the same as mine September 24th so oh my goodness we love that wow we need to celebrate (laughs) blathers birthday and also yours yeah next time it happens we'll do something we should get like a cake that's blathers themed yes (laughs) I love that Thank you so much, Olivia. That was so much research and just, I think, a perfect 100th episode. Yeah, and I'm I'm so happy we've been able to do this and I'm excited for next week. Next week is going to be, I feel like, more of the like party episode Yeah, <laughs> where we celebrate everything. So uh, definitely get us your animal stories. DM those to us. We really want to hear them. You can DM those on Instagram, Twitter, or email us at beyondblathers at gmail.com before July 6th. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye.